Hello, this is a prepaid collect call from Dante. An inmate at the Jackson Correctional Institution. All calls, other than properly placed attorney calls, may be monitored and recorded. To accept charges, press 1. To refuse charges, press 2. If you would like to permanently block your number from receiving calls from this facility, press 6. For balance and rate quotes, press 7. Thank you for using CenturyLink. You may start the conversation now. Welcome to the Incarcerated U.S. Podcast. I'm your host, Dante Cottingham. This morning, I'm speaking to Mr. Marlon Peterson. He's a published writer, a youth program innovator, a trauma expert, a gun violence prevention advocate, a TED talker, and a criminal justice reform advocate that, has, that hosts a podcast called Decarcerated. Good morning, Mr. Peterson. Good morning. Good morning, Dante. How you doing? I'm good. Uh, I'd like to thank you, man, for taking the time to have this discussion with me. Yeah, no question. Thanks for having me. Thanks for reaching out. Appreciate it. I have some questions I'd like to ask you to get your perspective on some of the components of mass incarceration in America. But before we get to those, let's talk a little bit about decarcerated. What does the term decarcerated mean to you? What is the aim, what is the aim of your podcast, and what inspires you to create it? Well, yeah, thanks for asking about it. So decarcerated podcast highlights the journeys of success of people who have spent time in jails and prisons across the country. Uh, you know, it's almost, almost 70 million people in the world in, in America that, that are living with a, a criminal conviction. So it's literally just to, like, um, we wanted to be able to highlight the, the levels of resilience to, 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 and the success that people have had um, who have, you know, despite prison. I, I never say because of, but despite prison. And to see how it's and to give like a really human um, perspective and face of folks who you know been in jails and prisons like right, myself right, um, right. and whatnot. Okay, and and and, and, and what inspires you to? Uh, what's the aim? Well, what's, the, what's the mission? And what inspires you to create? Where does the inspiration come from? Well, you know, I'm somebody that really relishes and loves to like create platforms that amplify that amplifies the voices of other people. Okay. So with this podcast um, and in the work I've been doing since my release over almost eight years now, um, you know, we also you always get these sort of stories, these questions are like, well, what made you different from everybody else, and how were you able to do that, and how are you able to, do, you know, to, you know, transition from a prison to a community, and I, you know, I'm one of those people that, that feels like, you know, there's no exceptions. Like there's so many people across right. the country who have spent time in prisons, and just, so there's no one person. So it's really just to amplify these people across mm-hmm. the country so that we're not looking at just one person here or one person there, but they're, they're since there's 70 million people in this country living with criminal conviction, there's so many millions of people who have who are success stories, and we just want to get those out there. And success, I like to say, is relative. Success is very relative. It could be somebody successful in academics, their profession, they've come home and they're living a great life, you know, got a job, living with their family, mm-hmm. integrated well into society. Okay, so uh, out of all of the people that you interview, what would you say are some of the most profound things you've learned from the stories of the brothers and sisters that you've talked to? Yeah, uh, I mean, this is just the, the podcast is in its first season. Um, we've had 11 episodes. Okay. Um, and in the people I've interviewed, I think one of the things that stands out to me is that just about everyone, you know, through their own through their, own, through their own volition, speaks about how other people in prison were were, were catalysts to their change 
or for their transformation or their evolution as a person, as opposed to when people, some people would say, well, you know, it's the prison programs that did it, or, you know, it was because you needed some time away, and that's why you decided to change, et cetera. And it's really the, the power of people just being able to interact with folks and to serve as, you know, as I said, as catalyst for transformation. And I think that's a reoccurring story that I've heard people give to me over and over again through the, um, the episodes that we've had so far. That sounds like a powerful platform. No question. I'm thankful that I'm able to have it and create it for folks. No doubt, no doubt. So to our listeners who may who may want to listen and, and check it out, where can it be found at? Oh, it's everywhere. So iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, okay. iHeartRadio. Uh, you go on my website, MarlonPeterson.com, and you can find all the episodes there as well. Okay, no doubt. And I'm going to make sure to, to add another uh, a link to it everywhere that this podcast is posted as well. Please do, please do. I appreciate that. And likewise, it's your podcast. No doubt, I appreciate that, my man. As a, uh, so, as a man who has been incarcerated and decarcerated, what do you believe the criminal justice system in your state is doing right, and what is it doing wrong? You said in New York State. Yeah, the state. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Um, well, there's a couple of things. Right? I think we've been we've been we've been we've made strides in reducing the amount of people in state prison in New York, um, and that's through. Um, I think largely because the amount of um, people who are formerly incarcerated have, who are now home and being able to sort of like be the voices of what policy looks like in terms of how we can reduce the amount of people in prison. But also people in the community um, are playing a big role in preventing people from getting there in the first place. You know what I mean? I think, um, okay. you know, there's a, a mentor of mine um, passed away, Eddie Ellis. He did 25 years himself. And he would always say that there are no prison problems, there are only community problems. And that's not to say that there aren't unique problems to prison. Of course, there are, obviously. But to say that, but what he's really saying is that whatever problem we have in prisons are microcosms of what we have going on in our communities. And, yeah, have, and you know, within the last 20 years or so, you know, particularly in New York, there have been a, 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 a upshot of people who are formerly incarcerated in positions of leadership influencing what programming looks like, whether it comes from the educational system, dealing with the school efficient pipeline, the social yeah, yeah. services, um, the actually legislation, things such as ban the box and gaining access to higher education. I think all these roles have played a role, all these have played a role, particularly in New York State, in terms of how we've been able to both reduce mass and inca- reduce incarceration population, um, as well as reduce the level of violent crime, uh, violent crime in New York State. New York City particularly, there's still much more to go because, as you said, that's a state facility. That's not the same with um, federal, the federal system, obviously other state facilities, and definitely doesn't address the increase in people being um, held in immigration detention. Indeed, indeed, indeed. What do you, what do you attribute your post-prison successes to? I mean, people, people looked out for me, man. I mean, I think I was able to, I mean, first my family, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, being able to have somebody to write to, or to pick yeah. a phone call and to visit you every couple of months, I think that was important for me to see. I always say that it's important that while you're inside, if you can have somebody to lean on outside, not necessarily for financial reasons necessarily, but just to yeah, have yeah. that emotional support. I have yeah, that's a big deal. I was able to look outside of prison. That, that was important. 
But outside of that, I mean, while I was inside, I was able to earn a, a, a college degree through college funding. To be yeah. out of the state, didn't offer free college, so I had to pay for it. But I, you know, and I, and I came for that even after I came home, you know. But I mean, that was the role. I think while I was inside, I also was a part of. Um, I ran um, what was called the Transitional Services Center in the jail. I was at for the last four or five years. I was there, and we right. basically prepared other men for their release. And by preparing other folks, I prepared myself. And I mean, so I mean, there's so by the time I came home, um, which was in 2009, um, like I had I had a plan for like how I wanted my life to look. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I was through like interacting with other folks on the outside as well as folks inside giving me some energy and some advice. You know, you so like the whole you took it sounded like you took responsibility for your future. Oh, I had to, man. I mean, you know, I, I you know, I was thank in a weird way you could say thankful. I mean I only served ten years. I could have served a lot more than turned ten years. Right. Um and you know, you know so I think that, you know, I came home at thirty, going on thirty one, went in at nineteen and I think that like you know, I, I realized, you know, how serious life is and that yeah. I have to ask It's not so much I didn't want to repeat. I want to say this point. Not so much I didn't want to repeat. I didn't want to go back to jail. I wasn't looking at it from that standpoint. I was looking from the standpoint that there's so much more for me to contribute to this planet, and I need to right. be out here to do it. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. And I, I just like to focus on that. When I went through my own transformation, one of the one of the main things that I was making my rules and responsibilities, my personal rules and responsibilities is, is is what I see when I look in the mirror. I gotta see something specific when I look in the mirror, and and, and, and this and is something that that when I look in this mirror that I don't like, then I have to do away with. So 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 at some point you get to a point where what you see when you look in the mirror and what what you see in the mirror. How that contributes to yourself, to, to the world, to your family, it begins to mean something. You agree with that? Oh, no question. I mean, okay. the mirror is the most honest space in the world. Absolutely. 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 No doubt. No doubt. I dig how you articulated that. Okay, so tell me from your perspective, how do you, how do you understand mass incarceration? You understand the numbers. You've been through the system. Uh, you've been incarcerated and decarcerated. So you you understand it. So from your perspective, how you how you think America has gotten itself into this situation? How how you think it's gotten here? Well, we decided to um, we decided to come here and take people land. That's how we started it. Um, I mean, yeah. the, I mean, his, I mean, you know, many audience are familiar, hopefully, with the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, and that speaks to the like the lineage. And the connection between Jim Crow and slavery and from Jim Crow to mass incarceration now as it exploded in the seventies, eighties and nineties until we're at to two point three million now. Right. I think that I mean America I mean the system of mass incarceration is, is intentional. We got here by intention, it wasn't by mistake. We decided to vote for and and vote okay. for people and vote for and vote for legislation that increased the amount of people in prison. But also before we think about incarceration you also voted for um, legislation and people who were invested in, like, in social disorganization of poor communities, particularly poor communities of color, but also poor white rural communities as well. You know, we invested in the social disorganization of these communities and disinvested from these communities. So when you do that sort of thing, people are left to their own laurels, um, and usually because they don't Call have calls other than properly placed attorney calls may be monitored and recorded. Please continue. 
yeah, they make decisions that aren't in their best interest, and usually in many cases harm their harm themselves, which can lead to issues of incarceration. So, I mean, we're very, it's been very intentional, and I think that, like, spending this period of time now, just one thing for your audience, I, I want to give, like, a real-life example of what I just said, and more, is that right now we are taking a public health approach to opioid epidemic in this country, right? We're not thinking that jail was the answer. When you go back 30, 40 years ago, when mass incarceration was booming, the way we handled the issue of addiction was that we incarcerated people. We made intentional choices to use the current justice system as a resource for opioid addiction, right? right? That was an intentional way to sort of increase the population of people in prison. Now we're doing it differently. I'm just saying that, like, the decisions that we've made in the past, the intentional decisions we've made as a country has led to the issue of mass incarceration, and we have to be just as intentional to reduce the amount of people in prison and jails in this country, and also to reduce the amount of social disorganization in poor communities. Acknowledging that is an intent, I think, is one of the most important things that we can do. Because I think a lot of people don't want to accept it, a lot of people don't want to see that, but it's obviously intentional. Ain't no question about it. Yeah, no question. I mean, particularly thinking about black and brown folks, I mean, it's obvious. Even going back to opioids, you know, we didn't look at crack the same way. You know, when crack right. was hitting, you know, right. communities, black and brown communities, we were intentional. We were going to put these black and brown people away, and in fact, we were going to label their children crack babies by simply okay. labeling an entire community, a next generation of people who we don't feel like would have no hope, right? Okay. We were intentional about doing that, particularly for black and brown people. So, I mean, I mean, we had to be just intentional. We had to be honest about these things. You can't because we can't, we can't change an intent until we acknowledge the intent. You know what I'm saying? You can't be transformed. We, we, we're not having the right conversation. We're not having real effective conversations until we, at a, at a minimum, acknowledge that it, that the whole structure has an intentional di- diagram. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's no question about it. And that brings me to my next question. What do you believe are the first steps toward complete prison reform in America? What, what, what's the first things that we need to do? Well, I think um, I recently gave a TED talk, as you mentioned, and, you know, it speaks about personal experiences, but particularly about violence. I went to jail for crime related to violence. Um, okay. But in the talk, I speak about the importance of investing in people, right, investing in people, particularly in the most marginalized spaces within our countries, and I speak about you know, get out from Brooklyn. Uh, you know, right. communities where have been plagued generationally with, un, with with a lack of resources. And I think the way to start thinking about from a preventative space is to to have sustainable long term investment in communities. Um, would that be in the educational system? Um, you just thinking about prevent prevent people from getting into that space in the first place. Right. Um, right. But once again, and that's on the front end. I think on the back end, I think we need to be thinking about a couple of things. Criminal justice reform, you know, human justice reform, as I like to wrap up, call it, is not, is not dichotomizing between nonviolent and violent folks. Like, we've right, got to be right. realistic that, that the same trauma that people who have uh, experienced who have committed nonviolent crimes are shared by people who committed or in jail for violent crimes, right? And we're not right. excusing people for committing any sort of these crimes. But we have to first of all think about if we want to realistically reduce the amount of people in, in, this, in, in uh, prison. We have to be looking at both people who committed violent and nonviolent offenses, right? I think that's, that's, the first, I think that's one of the first things. I think in terms of like uh, one of the things that you know more states and you know are allowing uh, funding, or at least more colleges, private institutions are funding educational, higher educational programs in, in prison. 
I think we all know statistically that education is a way, is a path to freedom, at least mentally okay. and definitely physically eventually. Um, and I think that uh, uh, institutional investment of higher education in all facilities is it, 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 it's like important. And it's cheaper. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, yeah, ain't it? Ain't it? <laughs> no doubt about it. And, 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 then, and then thirdly, and thirdly, I think um, really being about mental health. Um, right, right, right. Concerns of people in prison, in prisons is, is another thing. I mean, prison, I'm sure you're in, you're still in. There's many folks who are probably in prison who have mental issues who should not be in a cell, right? That's only accentuating the problems that they have, the emotional instabilities that they have, or clinical instabilities that they have. Right, so I, I mean, so like those sort of things are ways in which we can be realistic about reducing and, uh, the amount of people in prison. But ultimately, you know, I'm gonna say straight up that like it's not so much about this reform. I don't think I, you know, I don't believe that prisons work. Period. But right, I right. do not believe that it works. I, I, I definitely, they need people. People commit to do harm and need to be restrained from committing further harm to other people and to themselves. But right. prisons don't fix it. Anybody that is able to, like, triumph and be successful in prison is despite prison, not because of it, right? There's, like, mm-hmm. the environment doesn't encourage self-development. It doesn't. Like, people have to figure out in spite of that. Um, no, it just, it just feels good. It just feels good. It, it just feels good to the, to the, to the, to the politicians and to some members of the public. Oh, yeah. some of the, it just feels good. It doesn't work you right, it, it, but it feels good. Absolutely. It's like how you sweep stuff under the rug. Right, right, right. I mean, right. who cares? Unless, until it happens to me or a family member, who gives a ass? And even the thing is that even folks who have family members, and I've experienced myself personally just being straight up, people yeah. say, well, you're not like the other people inside of this. And, and, and to me, that's hugely problematic when we can just sort right. of like separate, well, you're my family member, you're not like the other people inside of this place. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, ultimately, yeah, yeah. the next family is saying the same thing to their son or their daughter. <laughs> you know what Absolutely. I mean? Um, or Absolutely. husband or wife or whatever it is. No doubt. No doubt. And no question about it. Um, no question, man. Hey, you made some good, a lot of valid points, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I thank you again for coming on and taking the time to have you discuss with me. So I think this conversation uh, will, will be insightful and, enlight- and enlightening to a, to a lot of people, man. And so thank you, man. Thank you for coming on. Unfortunately, our time, we... It's a 20 minute time period, man, but I get the feeling we could have this, okay. this conversation for hours. <laughs> um, no, quite. Uh, you know, I'd like to connect to have you on. Yeah, I'd like to like, amplify your voice. So we'll work on that through uh, whatnot. But I'd like to focus to get what you're doing is amazing, bro. And I'm going to applaud you for that. Raise you up for that, bro. Thank you for this. No, thank, no I appreciate that. I, and, 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 and so let's work together. I, definitely. Definitely. We can work together, man. Um, and, and, and I personally hope that, that, that this is the beginning of a friendship, man, and we can do a lot of good things together. Um, again, thank no you. Question. Thank you for coming on taking the time. And to our listeners, I'd like to invite you to this podcast to share your story, your voice. I'd like to highlight your organization and any upcoming events that your organization may be having. The Incarcerate U.S. podcast producer can be reached at incarceratedus.com. That's incarceratedus.com. And please remember that alone we are powerful, no doubt, but together we are unstoppable. This is Dante signing off with the Incarcerate U.S. podcast, the place where all of our voices come together. You have one minute left. The caller has hung up.